Well, good morning. Welcome to everybody who is joining us live at one of our three campuses, as well as those who are joining online. Uh, my name is Taylor. I'm one of the teaching ministers here, excited to continue our series of faith worth remembering. Before we do that, just let me add my word of encouragement and affirmation as we are in our 40 days of prayer. Uh, we believe in the power of prayer and we believe uh, that prayer is a foundational for the strategy we have as a church to pursue our mission and vision. So uh, if, if you have yet to engage with any of the daily prayer videos that we have on our YouTube channel, I would encourage you to do that. I even got a picture uh, from one of our missionaries who uh, had up on the, the TV in their living room, uh, one of the daily videos, and they were praying with us. And so we are part of a community, uh, not only our local church, but those that we partner with who, was, who are praying with us uh, throughout these 40 days. Uh, and we'd invite you to join in. Well, in my family, my wife knows that if I am putting on a tie, in, there's a great chance that either someone is getting married or someone is getting buried. I know, a little bit more, but that's just the reality in our household. And uh, it was about over, a little over a week ago, I put on a tie and I drove across town, um, but I was not heading to officiate uh, anything. I was heading to attend a funeral. A matriarch in uh, some dear family friends, their family, this matriarch of the faith in her 90s, it had passed away. So I sat down in a room with family and friends and listened as this woman of faith was remembered. And you know, there's something that changes about the way we talk when you're at a funeral. People's words, it's like they're reaching for something deeper by which they can remember or honor that person's legacy. Makes me think about author David Brooks, who he described the difference between what he called resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are the things that you did in life. The, the degrees you earned, the skills that you honed, the projects that you accomplished, the jobs that you worked. But eulogy virtues kind of help reflect the person that you were. What was your character, your integrity, your loyalty, your trustworthiness, your, your love, your hospitality, your kindness, your generosity, your faith. These are the kinds of virtues that get talked about at funerals. These are the kind of virtues that people most want to be remembered for more than just what they did, but who they were. And in this series of Faith Worth Remembering, we have been journeying through Hebrews chapter 11, and the eulogy virtue on display is faith. It's mentioned over and over and over again as these different people who are names in the Bible, but they're also part of this bigger story of God and his people. They are remembered and in a sense eulogized for their faith. So if uh, you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. While you're turning there, let me just remind you how the Hebrew writer defines faith. Which, by the way, if you're brand new with us, I'm so glad that you're here. Maybe you're kind of wondering, like, what is a working definition for faith? In Hebrews 11, verse 1, here's the Hebrew writer. says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, faith, here's the the thing to wrestle with. Sometimes when we hear those words, it's as if faith is just something that we mentally agree with. And sometimes the worst caricature of faith is that faith is something that where we choose to believe something that we don't really have any reason to believe, or we choose to believe something we know not to be true. And that is not the Hebrew writer's definition of faith. Faith is not merely a mental agreement to something that seems ridiculous. Because one of the, man, one of the criticisms of of not just Christian faith, but religion in general is that people just check their brains at the door as if there's just no reason to believe any of what we're talking about, no, no evidence, no substance, no reality. But here the Hebrew writer says, actually, there is an assurance, which could maybe be translated a, a reality or substance of what we don't see. And so as Christians, the invitation is not to check our brains at the door. It's actually to say faith may begin in the mind, but it will inevitably lead to choices that we make. See, the way our senior teaching minister put it at the start of this series was that we're not just asked to believe in God, we're asked to believe God, to believe that he's trustworthy, to believe that we could actually make choices and decisions and course corrections in our lives that are based on our faith in God. Faith as a eulogy virtue isn't just something we hold in our heart or agree with in our minds, it will affect the course of our lives. That's why these people are being remembered as examples for us. And we'll see this faith laid out in just a moment in in one man and one family. So here's a way to think about this. This is lay a foundation for us for the rest of this message. If you're taking notes, write this down. Faith lives between the present and the promise. Everybody say the present. Everybody say the promise. Faith lives between the present and the promise. In between those places of what God has promised or said, some of what we hope for in him, and yet the reality that we currently live in. And in Hebrews 11, you see this in lots of people, but we're going to focus on one man and his family. A man's named Abraham. We'll begin in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. So if faith lives between the present and the promise, let me just paint a picture of some of Abraham's present at the time. Abraham, as far as we can tell in Genesis 11 and 12, didn't really have a close affiliation with God. It's even possible or even likely that he was an idol worshiper. He had no special qualities or skills that made him ideal for God calling him. He and his wife, Sarah, didn't even have any children. And when God comes and gives this this call to Abraham, it's not only to promise about a land he will receive, it's also a promise about the fact that he will become the father of many nations. His first name was was Abram in in the Bible, which which kind of means father. And then God changes his name to Abraham, which kind of means like big poppy. Like, he goes from being called daddy to big daddy. Like, that's the name change. It's God's way of saying, here, I want you to understand this promise that, that you're going to have, be, be the father of many nations, and your people, your lineage, will be a blessing to the world. This is God's promise to a man who, in the present, this is the first time he's hearing from God, 
He's established with his family and even his father in one place and he's being asked to leave, which really means he's being asked to sacrifice what would have been his inheritance. And not only that, he don't even have kids and he's 75 years old. And yet we see that Abraham went. And verse 8 says that he, he obeyed and went. And then there's, there's two, two kind of phrases I, I want us to repeat just to get it in our minds. Even though, say even though, he did not know. One more time. Even though he did not know. We see this with Abraham and it's something that, that we've already heard in this series, but it's important to reiterate. Full obedience does not require full understanding. Somebody needed to hear that. Full obedience does not require full understanding. See, for some of us, if faith is something we just mentally agree to, then man, God, I kind of need to know. I'd love to mentally agree with the where and the when and the how and the why. And if you could kind of spell those things out, then I'm ready to go. But Abraham went even though he did not know. Abraham's willing to step out in faith and he went before he had aware. He departed before he had a destination. If you'll permit just a little more alliteration, it's as if Abraham said, I don't know where I'm going, but I know I have a guide. And since my guide is God, I'm good to go. Did you get that? This is what Abraham says. It's like this, this is where I'm going to go. God, I'm going to obey and I'm going to go and it's like, it's like what I heard some advice given to, to a Christian who was wrestling with, how do, how do I follow God right now in, in this life? And this advice was so good. Don't worry if you don't understand everything, but obey everything you understand. Oh man, some, sometimes in the walk of faith, if, if I focus on all of my understanding, that can become even subconsciously an excuse not to obey what I already know God wants me to do. But here Abraham goes, even though he does not know. And verse nine, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Oh man, if, if faith lives between the present and the promise, do you feel that tension right here? The land is promised but Abraham is living as a stranger. It's going to be a place he can call home, but he is a foreigner there. Someday they could say, this is where we belong, but he's not able to put down roots. He's camping. And this promise is passed down for a couple generations showing this endurance, this patience as they wait on God, which Abraham knew well. He gets this call from the Lord and so he goes and God shows him, but at the same time for 25 years, there's this waiting and this waiting and this waiting and there is no child for Abraham and Sarah, which brings us to verse 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. On my father's side of the family, my, my grandmother gave birth to my dad in her 40s and a couple of years later gave birth 
to my Aunt Judy, and a couple years after that, my Uncle Jimmy. All Three, all in her 40s. Two decades after my first uncle and aunt, who age-wise are kind of like grandparents for me. We got a weird family. I've always thought that was impressive. But here, for Sarah, she is, the Bible tells us, 90 years old when God says, you're going to get pregnant. Okay, we're, we're past impressive. We have reached impossible. This, this is just absurd. And so you cannot blame Sarah that in Genesis, the first thing she does when she hears this news from God is just laugh. But something happens to Sarah. The text says she considered. And I, I wonder what went into that consideration I mean, here, here, here's where Sarah's faith is having to live initially because she, she can't actually do something about this. She has received a promise that she's going to have a child. She's living in the present with a 100-year-old husband, and, and she's a 90-year-old woman. But as she considers, she looks back over these 25 years of God calling them out, showing them where to go protecting them in times of danger, leading them, speaking to them, and even helping them to thrive and prosper. They've amassed all kinds of wealth. And Sarah determined that even though she didn't understand how, she could believe who was making the promise. She didn't understand how. In fact, from a human standpoint, it's impossible. Don't even see the way this could happen, but she could believe who was making the promise and considered him faithful. Verse 12, and so from this one man and he as good as dead. Okay, pause for just a second. Like this Hebrew writer has no respect for Abraham right here. It's like, it's like Abraham's been propped up just to be made a point of how incredible God is. And then the Hebrew writer puts this guy in a category that like the census doesn't have. And socially, we don't have that. Nobody's like, hey, I want you to meet this, this older member in my family. They're as good as dead. Are you kidding me? And nobody's going to introduce themselves that way. Well, wow, you hit another birthday. That's incredible. How old are you today? I'm as good as dead. That's where I am. It's like, it's just, just put some respect on Abraham right here. Come on. But to make the point that this is biologically, this is impossible. This is absurd. So from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Oh man, there's, there's a little bit of our faith right there. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you realize you, you believe and you have professed that your testimony was, you know what, spiritually, I was as good as dead. And yet, buried with Jesus Christ, raised to walk in new life. There is a future before me full of the promises of God that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. I am part of a kingdom of people who have believed in Jesus Christ and been raised to, to walk in newness of life, experience spiritual resurrection, and throughout history, they, they are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. 
This is, this is actually, that language is something that God used to try and help Abraham believe and have faith. At one point, Abraham comes to God and says, I mean, still doesn't have a son at this point. And says, what am I supposed to do? You promised me an inheritance, but you know what? My inheritance, it's going to go to this distant relative. And God says, why, why don't you look up? And coming out of the tent, Abraham looks up. And that's the metaphor God uses. And he says, no, you, you're going to have a son. And it will be from your own line, not this distant relative. And I'm going to keep good on my promise. God has to do that with Abraham and Sarah over and over. He, he does that with lots of followers of Jesus in the walk of faith. And that is because, if you're taking notes, faith lives on hope. Yeah, faith lives between the present and the promise, but faith lives on hope. This is this inner fuel and engine. Look, look back for a moment at how, how faith, the working definition of faith we started with. Faith is the... Confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Throughout Abraham's life, God doubles down on his own promise multiple times to try and continue to fuel and nurture Abraham and Sarah's hope. And he even gets to the point that he swears on it in a way that I was not allowed to swear growing up. I grew up as a preacher's kid. And uh, the phrase, I swear to God, not allowed in our house. I mean, un unless you were on the witness stand, you're not allowed to say that. That's not something that we said. It's still not something I say to this day. But I was stunned to realize, looking back at the, the narrative of Abraham and God, God said something that would have got him in trouble in the Walling House. God says, I swear to God. Seriously. Genesis 22, God doubles down. He says, I swear on myself. Why do you do that? Because there's nobody higher to swear on. So he, he, he makes this oath to Abraham and the Hebrew writer earlier in Hebrews 6 actually brings this up, talking about faith and this promise that we can have hope in. So look, look at this in, in Hebrews 6. He says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Oh man, person of faith, see just how much God wants you to know that you can hope in him. Follower of Jesus, see just how far God will go to stake his reputation and his plans on you realizing you can have something to hope in and it's not going to change. Daughter of God, understand that God loves you and he has not changed his mind about you. Son, realize there's a father in heaven who is calling and he's faithful to lead you despite the questions you currently have. 
And, and this was written for Christians who at the time, they felt forgotten. They wondered if God had changed his mind. They experienced persecution on the fringes of society. And these were written down, not just so that there'd be a historical record, but so that followers of Jesus then and now could walk in a faith that has hope. That's what Abraham did. He, um, the language used in verse 10 is that Abraham is willing to live as this foreigner and stranger in what's supposed to be his home because, verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Man, the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. I'll be honest, I read that and, and this beautiful picture of God setting this, this reliable foundation. And then I thought about my experience as a Texas homeowner. May I, may I share with you briefly one of my most expensive sermon illustrations? So we buy this house and found out previous owners had put, I mean, they'd put five figures into the foundation work that had recently been done. So we felt pretty good about that. Like, man, okay, we're, we're, we're gonna be in good shape for years to come. And, um, and then we started noticing some things, some, some, some cracks and, and some concerns and doors that weren't shutting the right way. And, um, and then we, we started trying to find out, you know, we, we knew that there was a warranty. And so we started kind of looking into it. And then we've, we found a very sad story, Hills Church, that I want to briefly share with you. And it's the story of a, a company that, uh, that, that, that bid really, really low to try and get work. But then because they had bid so low, they had a habit, not just with us, but with many other community members of cutting corners and doing work that seemed to do the right thing in the short term, but did not last. And as a result, this company did not last. They went bankrupt, which we found out at a point where we had no recourse. And so we kind of had to invest in some new work. And that little short sentence is the most expensive part of this illustration. But, but man, it helped me remember. God, Abraham's looking and saying, I want a city. I want a home. I want a future that is built on foundations that are not made by man. Anybody who's a homeowner in Texas Clay say amen. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to happen from, from anything that I can do. And that's true spiritually for us. Man, I'm not trying to build a foundation by my church attendance, by my good works, by my scripture memorization. Now hear me, those are good things. But if you think those are foundations, oh man, like you have missed it. For us, we preach about foundations that God set for his people that Abraham was looking forward to. And some of the foundations, we don't look forward, we look back. Because there was, as Tim Keller put it, a, a true and better Abraham who would leave his home, forsake a heavenly comfort to be able to come and to dwell among the people, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who lived as a citizen, a prince, a king of heaven, like a foreigner and stranger. Jesus in his ministry 
said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And Jesus was willing to go and do this to help fulfill Abraham's covenant, to actually create and provide the event on which all blessing would flow to the whole world. Because Jesus wasn't just willing to go from heaven to earth, Jesus was willing to go to a cross. And on that cross, he died for the sins of the world, for you and for me. He was the sacrifice, but on that cross, he also upended evil and sin and death. Buried in the grave three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus rose from the dead. And that's changed everything. It has changed the foundation upon which this church and every church lifting up the name of Jesus stands today. What's this foundation? Is, is it slab or is it pier and beam? You know what? In God's mercy, it's both. The slab of Calvary upon which the pier and beam of the cross was raised high so that anyone who looks to Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and then the slab rolled away for the resurrection. Man, in that, we find our foundation I can plant my feet there. And even if I feel like a stranger or a foreigner in today's world, even if I feel like I'm slowly moving to the margins of society as a follower of Jesus, trying to stay faithful and trust God, I'm on a firm foundation if I'm with Jesus Christ. And that, in a way that he perhaps knew in part, but didn't know in whole, Abraham was looking forward. But verse 13 says that from an earthly standpoint, that's where his story finished. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they, they would have had opportunity to return. Oh, man. We have this, this admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. We carry that same legacy today. The true promised land that Jesus announced is called the kingdom of God. And in one sense, it's, it's available right now with Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in another sense, we're still waiting for the full version. And man, I, just thinking about our harvest season, I'm, I'm always inspired by the missionaries and by the church planners with whom we get the honor of partnering and supporting. They help exemplify this to me in such a beautiful way. They carry some of that faith of Abraham who, man, so many of them, I've heard a lot of different stories from missionaries and church planners. And one of the similarities is that there is a call before there's a clear course. And, and they begin to, at different points in their lives, raise their hand or get prayed over and, and somebody, and they just realize like, man, I, I think I'm called to this. And yet then when God begins to show them, here's the city, here's the town, here's the country, 
then they go and in a way live as strangers and foreigners, especially our missionaries who are going to a place that with a language they don't speak, a culture they, don't, they, they weren't raised in with, with uh, food and customs and so many things that make it very clear we are foreigners and strangers. And yet they go in the legacy of Abraham to be a blessing. The same thing with our church planners. But I've been convicted as I've just reflected, realizing that's not just a story for church planners and missionaries. That should be a story for every follower of Jesus. And yet <laughs> the Hebrew writer recognizes, man, you know, if you're thinking about the old country, it's kind of tempting to go back to a place where you were comfortable and felt like home. You could apply that two ways. Spiritually, there's an old country in my heart. And in the old country, I get to decide when and where. In the old country, I'm in charge. In the old country, I can decide how far I want to put down roots. But with Jesus leading me, he, he will call me to places where I have to remember this isn't my forever home. And practically, the world that we live in, I mean, I know right now that I'm talking to some people who have lived in this area or in this state their entire lives. They have a beautiful history of, of family and memories. And it's good to be able to call a place home. There's nothing wrong with that. And for others who maybe, maybe have moved from out of state, but you're still in the nation that you were in. And I know that's not everybody. I know that there are some listening to me right now who know what it is to feel like, man, this, is, this really isn't my home. And, and you are, you're not in uh, currently the nation of your birth. You will understand this better than some of us who, man, it's just easy to start to feel like this is what matters. This is what I can call home. And pretty soon the culture around us will try and tell us what matters and what's important. What should we do? What's worth valuing or measuring? What should we even want? So I saw a, um, a silly example of this, but I think it helps make the point. Online, little joke conversation between a couple and she was heading to Target and he asks, what do you got to buy from Target? And she answers, Target will tell me when I get there. <laughs> it's just a joke, okay? But it does make the point. Man, I'd encourage you to reflect this week. What are the ways that some of the rhythms and patterns of your life are beginning to tell you and lead you and guide you In the words of John Mark Comer, don't live for a world that is passing away. Live for the world that's coming to pass. Because the world that's passing away all around us right now, I mean, the last few years have given us a lot of examples that say, hey, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the country in which I was born. I'm grateful for, for my family. I'm grateful for my community and I want to be a blessing. But I also know this world is passing away. I heard a list from author John Ortberg and I'll, I'll paraphrase it the passing away world. COVID, George Floyd, racism, inflation, political polarization, January 6th, CRT, Roe v. Wade, Supreme Court, declining church attendance, supply chain issues, the great resignation, social media comment sections, cancel culture, culture wars, actual wars, church scandals, old Christians staying home, young Christians deconstructing, white Christian nationalism surging, house prices soaring, young staff unfindable, volunteers unrecruitable, property unaffordable, and 
he concludes saying, it's a great time to be a follower of Jesus. But Ortberg doubled down. He said, it really is. Because when you start to see your outer world falling apart, you turn to your inner world. And that's where you find God who doesn't ask you to check your brain at the door, but invites you to consider. Consider what you could place the weight of your life on. And for followers of Jesus, it's the belief that Jesus not only came and lived and died for the sins of the world, but rose from the grave. I consider the witnesses of many who saw him and were unwilling to recount their testimony no matter what was done to them. I consider the witnesses of those who have said, we've seen miracles done by the power of prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit. I consider the witnesses of, of Christians who have had countercultural examples living as foreigners and strangers and yet blessing people around them in incredible ways. I consider those things. And first and foremost, the foundation is Jesus Christ. But man, we are invited to continue walking with that mindset or in the words of Hebrews 16, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That means that right now, in the legacy of Abraham, I am looking at a holy campsite. Now, we, we, can, we can pitch our tents. Or in uh, music festival language, I'm looking at the field with all those tents or at Coachella with like a lot fewer drugs. <laughs> or I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the parking lot with all the tents and the RVs at the motor speedways with a lot less plaps blue ribbon. Or, or in the legacy of the woman whose funeral I attended heard after the service, she was part of this group and they had what you might call a pilgrim pact. And it was this, that in heaven, they were all going to live on the same street. And when she died, turns out that she was the last one and the group was reunited. Now, I'm not sure that housing in heaven works quite like that but I love that spirit of someone who says, I know that I'm living for an eternity and I get to be a blessing today by God's leading and I am not in it alone. And that's what you and I are invited into as we carry the promise faithfully in the present, full of hope given to us by God who is with us all the way. And we carry the promise of Jesus who said, I go to prepare a place for you. Let's bow together. God, I thank you that you willingly and lovingly extended your promise and your faithfulness to us. I thank you that you've given us something bigger to live for than just right here, right now, or what I want. Oh God, you've called us to something bigger, something beyond. Would you lead us, your people, to be a blessing 
wherever we are, but to remember that there is a city you are building and promising and where you are making a place for us. And I pray for those who have yet to put their faith in Jesus. Would they see and realize there is a Savior who loves them, who died for them, who rose from the grave, and who is inviting them into this life that actually provides life for today as they've never experienced it and life for eternity as only you can give it. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.